Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining us. It's, um, it's good to worship together today. Um, it's good to remember that what it means to be God's children is that the fear that drives so much of the violence and the power grabbing and the panic in our world uh, stems from an absence of, of security. Today, we're going to look at a text in which we find out that what we know or think about God, how we understand him, and if we understand God wrongly, if we are afraid of what God is like, we're not going to know how to live in this moment. We're not going to know what to do. And so I'm going to read to us from Matthew 25, and then we'll pray, and then um, we'll jump in together. Jesus went on to say, for the kingdom of heaven is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. And to one, he gave five talents to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. And the one who'd received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents saying, master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward saying, master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. And his master said to him, well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And then the one who had received the one talent also came forward saying, master, I knew that you were a harsh man reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you do not scatter seed. And so I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master replied, you wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I do not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And on return, I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the 10 talents. For to all who those who have more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing Even what they have will be taken away. And as for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we once again find ourselves listening to a teaching today that is hard and hard hard to square with what we know of you and how we've experienced you and, and trusting God that your heart is consistent in that you are the same yesterday and today and forever. And so um, would you help us to hear these words today as words of life and opportunity and invitation into your kingdom, Jesus. And we pray these things in your good name. Amen. We are coming to the, the, the tail end of what's been now several months of us studying what it means to be citizens 
of God's kingdom. And today what we're going to see or look at is what is my life as a citizen in God's kingdom? What is it uh, moving towards? What is it working for? And I'll just tell you uh, the beginning that what we see in this parable is that your life as a citizen in God's kingdom is working towards uh, recognition, like public, personal recognition. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Uh, One of the things that I've become increasingly uh, comfortable with in my own life over the course of the last, uh, I don't know, several years is uh, that it's, it's actually a good thing that God made me and, and you uh, to, to long for, to desire affirmation, to desire to hear, as we see in this uh, story, well done. My daughters don't merely want to be intelligent and funny and beautiful. They want to be enjoyed for being those things. They want to hear uh, affirmation for those things. My, my, my boys who are young, they don't want to just you know, like know important things. They don't want to just feel strong or be brave. They want to, they want to be uh, impressive to us who watch them be brave and tough and, and know important things. And what children have that most of us have given up on over the years is um, like an unabashed willingness to acknowledge that, to like do a thing and then like look at you to see if you're watching, to see if you're, if you're, if you're proud or if you're interested. We have learned long ago that that's not an appropriate or an adult way to do things. And so we, we actually push these things away. If someone comes to us and tries to give us a compliment, and we see this all the time in award shows or on the field interviews after big games where people just, you know, spread the praise around and try not to take too much recognition and too much credit. And we all know it's somewhat false and artificial, but at the same time, it's like, it just is uncomfortable. I mean, what's, what's better when we see someone come up and grab the microphone and draw all the attention to themselves? Like we suddenly realize, actually, I guess false humility is better than Mr. Braggadocio. But but Jesus is telling us in this story something really profound, and that is that, that you were made, like you were made as a human being in God's image to hear well done, to want it, to long for it. And all of us in one way or another are currently today, not Christians, people who are not Christians, are, are working for some kind of well done, probably for many areas, like professionally, relationally, sexually. I had a friend tell me a couple of years ago that he, he thinks he works uh, all week long to hear well done from the opposite sex, which I think is just a very honest thing that most people could probably relate to. Just this idea, like I want, I want sort of like a, the, the female uh, species to rise up and say, you are doing well. You are doing what we hoped you, you, a person would do who was a male. Like it's a silly thing. And yet like those those desires to be affirmed, to be recognized, to be publicly praised, to feel encouraged is driving our life. It drives our habits. It drives our spending habits. It drives uh, our, our, the, the things that we do with our time. It is, it is utterly controlling um, our life. And there is a well done that we hear in the story that is actually worth living for. And it's a well done that actually will meet the deep longing in you and me uh, that God put there. So let's just quickly just march through this parable and then we'll get to what Jesus is telling us is, a, is available to you and me uh, in this parable. He talks about talents and we talked a, a number of weeks ago now about what a talent is, but to remind you, a talent is 20 years of salary. So when he gives someone five talents, he's giving him a hundred years wages, an insane amount of money. And it is, what's important to note, it is not the slaves, the servants money. It's the master's money. He's entrusting it to them for them to take care of. So, and that's like a principle for all of my life. Everything that I have in my life, the resources I 
I have, the, 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 the family I was born into, my, my education, these things have come to me as a gift. They've been given to me as gifts, something to be stewarded. We also can see in this parable that not everyone's given the exact same thing, that people are actually given different amounts, different, uh, different talents, different talent levels. And that is, of course, also true. And we all know it. We all know that there is disparity and inequity in the world just by what zip code you're born into, whether or not you had two parents at home, whether or not you had siblings, what your family structure was like, how much money your parents made. These things are not, they're not chosen, they're, and yet they are distributed unequally around the world and around our own city and, and country. But what the story is ultimately about is given this idea that you have been given things, that your life is essentially a gift, <clears throat> And that you had no control over what was given to you, whether good or bad, whether much or little. The question is, is what are you and I doing with it? The story is about the reckoning. What what have the people done who were uh, given something, who were entrusted with a thing? Both the person with five talents and the person with two talents do the same thing. They double the investment and they both get the exact same response. The one who made five more talents doesn't get more praise than the one who made two. The question is not how much are you able to do, but are you doing something? Are you being faithful with the life that you have given? And this is the question that God raises to us, I think, in this parable. Like to just look around my life and just recognize like the things in my life, the relationships, the money, the resources, my history, my family of origin. These things come to me as, as essentially as gifts. And what am I doing? Um, what am I doing with them? You and I will discover also in this parable that when we're faithful in the little things, God doesn't give us rest at the end. He gives us more to do. The five talent person gets more responsibility. Same with the two talent person is given more responsibility. Um, oftentimes I, I fall into the trap I have throughout my life of feeling like, like the real work, the real thing, the thing I'm waiting for is on the other side of this moment. So if I can just get through the tedium of this moment of little kids and while running around and carpool, if I can just get through the tedium of, of this, this stage of my career and get to the real work, then like I'll, then I'll have arrived. And it's like, no, the, the, the people in this parable who receive more responsibility, greater opportunity are the people who are faithful in the small things in front of them right now. And how many of us right now just have very small and simple things in front of us, especially in a weird, strange pandemic year? How many of you right now are working and, and, and staying home and also functioning as a school teacher for any number of kids in your home? Or how many of us are finding ourselves like having to completely reorganize how our companies work or how, our, how we do our job because of the strangeness of, of, of limitations in this season? And how are we being faithful in the small, simple things in front of us? Because those of us who are faithful in these things The promise is that there is more on the horizon for us. But what about the third servant? Well, the third servant, he hides his talent. He he goes, he digs a hole. He puts 20 years of salary down in a hole. He takes no risks. He holds back. And, And why does he do that? It tells us right here why he does it. He says, because I was afraid. He says, I knew these things about you. I knew what you're like. And I'm, and I was afraid. We see that fear has paralyzed the servant. 
fear has paralyzed him, kept him from working. Now, when I'm afraid, paralysis is a very common response, right? Uh, paralysis is something that happens uh, because like, I don't know what to do. Also, another thing that happens when I'm afraid is I tend to not be paralyzed. I tend to overreach, to overreact, to try to do too much, to try to be too much. And both of these are responses from the same sort of general insecurity in me. This thing that says that I'm not enough, that what I have is not enough, that what I need to do is be someone else or be like someone else. And um, when fear comes into my heart, it locks me down or it makes me overreach and overreact. I try too hard. Fear in that sense uh, keeps me from being who I am supposed to be, which is just me being faithful with, with what's in front of me, with the people in front of me. I'd rather play it safe than risk losing what I have. Fear keeps me from being the kind of father that I wish I were. Fear keeps me from being the kind of husband that I wish I were, the kind of friend, the kind of pastor that I wish I were. Fear tends to push me to retreat or to overreact and, and both, end up, both end up selling short what God has for me. And what is the root of the fear in this text? It's really important. What is the root of the servant's fear? It tells us the, the root is that he doesn't know who God is. He doesn't know who the master is. He says, I knew you were harsh. I knew that you take what isn't yours. And so I was afraid. And the master res- replies, he says, oh, you, you knew what I was like, did you? And the master who had just entrusted uh, hundreds of years of wages, of, li- of living to three slaves and given them an opportunity to do something incredible, to, to manage his estate. He's like, oh, you knew what I was like. You know that I'm stingy. You know that I withhold. You know that I'm always taking from other people, that I'm not generous, that I'm not abundant. You knew what I was like. The reason the servant is afraid is because he actually doesn't know the master at all. He doesn't know his heart. He doesn't understand that what is actually motivating and driving the master is a desire to entrust things into his servant's hands so that he can entrust more into their hands. You know, from the very beginning of our Bibles, if you go all the way back to Genesis 3, the very first lie that you and I are told from the serpent, the very first lie that we're told is that God is holding out on us. That actually there's this like insider's club. There's this inside room and that you and I are not allowed into it when actually the entire beginning of the Bible is about God giving, giving authority, giving uh, power, giving dominion to people. He wants to share in the work of this world with us. He desires to be cooperative friends with us. He wants you to see yourself as not just some cog in the wheel, but as a necessary and a, uh, as a necessary comp- uh, part of, of his work, his good work uh, on the earth. Jesus says it this way. He says, fear not little flock. Your father's good will is to give you the kingdom of heaven. He wants to give you the kingdom. He wants to give you power. So many of the promises that we read in the New Testament actually speak to this, that actually at the very end of all things, what God is going to do is he's going to give authority to people, to you, to me. So what is God asking of us? He wants us to get off the sidelines and to give ourselves to whatever he's put before us. And I just want to just acknowledge that that feels probably really wearying to you right now. I mean, I don't know about you, but uh, this has been a very long season of Groundhog Day like eight months, nine months, I don't even know how long it's been now of just the same thing. And it's not fun, same thing. And there's not a whole lot on the horizon even to look forward to. Even the holidays are feeling different. There's not like some vacation that everyone's looking forward to. It's just like more of the same, more of stuck at home. And the case numbers keep climbing and the hospitalizations keep climbing. What are we looking forward to right now? 
being faithful in the thing in front of me is not very exciting when the thing in front of me is emptying the dishwasher for the second time today. And yet this is actually, I think, what the text is calling us to. is choosing to just do the thing in front of me and trust that God sees it. That in some way, in the faithfulness in the little things, I'm actually moving towards the great thing that my soul, my, my heart longs for. The affirmation that I deeply desire. This is why Jesus says to the first and the second servant, after they hear well done, he says, now enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of the master. I want to enter into the joy of the master. I want to experience in, my, in myself God's pleasure in my faithfulness in the little things and in the big things. My willingness to take risks in the big things. My willingness to trust that it's his stuff that I'm doing these, taking these risks with. He's given it to me because he, he wants me to, to take risks with it. And when I do, I enter into the joy of the master. I said at the beginning that you and I are made to hear a well done, that there is a deep longing in our souls that has been driving and running our lives. And you may not even know it, but some of you do, especially those of you who have done like deep, like internal personal work, you know, that like the messages that came to you, for example, from your family of origin are still ringing in your head right now. The things that you heard from peers and schoolmates uh, are still ringing in your head that we actually carry these things along with us, whether they are for shame or for good, because there's something in us. It's, it's innate. We, desire for it. And and C.S. Lewis um, wrote a sermon, obviously many years ago, in which he he addressed this. And the sermon was called The Weight of Glory. And I always, first of all, um, I I think it's hilarious because C.S. Lewis was a, he's of course, he's an Oxford professor. Um, He's a a very famous author. He's a well-known spokesperson and apologist and all these things. But he got invited to this church as a guest speaker. And guest speakers have a hard job. I've got, I've done guest speaking enough. Like you, you get pulled in, everyone's like, who is this person? And everyone's like really skeptical and crossing their arms. And I always think how funny it must have been to have C.S. Lewis as your guest speaker. And then he gets up there and preaches the greatest sermon that's ever been preached, which is in my opinion, the weight of glory. Um, and it's a sermon in which he is wrestling with this idea that like actually innate in his soul is a desire to feel God's happiness in him. And that that's a good thing that it's okay for you to give your life to that. It's okay for you to recognize that being faithful in the little things in front of you is actually an opportunity to enter into the pleasure of your father. So I just want to read a a, a pretty long excerpt from it to you in closing. There's a word over you and me. Um, And so this is picking up in the middle of the, of the sermon. Uh, He writes, I was shocked to find such Christians as Milton Johnson and Thomas Aquinas taking heavenly glory quite frankly, in a sense of fame or good report with God or approval, or I might even say appreciation by God. But then when I thought it over, I saw that this view was scriptural. Nothing can eliminate the parable of the divine accolade. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I remembered suddenly that no one can enter heaven except as a child. And nothing is so obvious in a child as it's great and undisguised pleasure in being praised. And that is enough to raise our thoughts to what may happen when the redeemed soul beyond all hope and nearly beyond belief learns at last that she has pleased him whom she was created to please. And there will be no room for vanity. Then she'll be free from the miserable illusion that is her doing with no taint of what we would now call self-approval. She will most innocently rejoice in the thing that God has made her to be. And the moment which heals her old inferiority complex forever will also drown her pride. 
In the end, that face, which is the delight or the terror of the universe, must be turned upon each one of us, either with one expression or the other, either conferring glory inexpressible or inflicting shame that can never be cured or disguised. I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. By God himself, it is not. How God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Indeed, how we think of him is of no importance, except insofar as it is related to how he thinks of us. It is written that we shall stand before him. We shall appear. We shall be inspected. The promise of glory is the promise almost incredible and only possible by the work of Christ that some of us, that any of us who really chooses shall actually survive that examination, shall find approval, shall please God, to please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work or a father in his son. It seems impossible. A weight or a burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain. But so it is. Jesus, we thank you that you tell us in this text, you show us that the moment that our souls are longing for, have been made for, is a moment that will come in our future. Help us today, God, as citizens of your kingdom, to be faithful in the simple and small things right in front of us right now so that we may one day hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Come to communion. We'd love to see you in a few minutes. We'll be worshiping. We'll be uh, taking communion. It'll be great. So we'll see you outside in a few minutes. Grace and peace.